I remember I was listening to a, a different podcast. Um, no offense. I'm shutting this off right now. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cardboard Herald, my chance to talk with creative gamers and game creators. And joining me on the show today is game designer, illustrator, filmmaker, cartoonist, Malachi Rempin. How are you doing today, man? Very well. Thank you very much and very excited to be here. For being a man who wears so many hats, I was expecting more hats to be on the video feed here. <laughs> Yeah, I've uh, uh, dropped my hats. You're what I, I think of as like the Billy Corgan type, the person who goes into the studio and does it all themselves. I mean, you you have come out with two games so far. You have Itchy Feet, you have Roll Camera. We have an expansion, the B-movie expansion for Roll Camera coming up on the horizon here. But it seems like you're you're one of these guys who just does it all like what do you what do you like think of when you are undertaking a huge project like this can i just coin a term here actually for this i i have an idea and this is this you heard it here first i uh, love it uh i, I want to call it a lock-alike <laughs> so, i'll take it know, yeah like, ryan lockett is the um sort of proto example i mean maybe he's Maybe there were people who came before him, but I think he's the one. The obvious answer to everyone thinks of the one who kind of does the publishing and the illustration and the game design and the development and the, like just everything in house, all himself. I mean, it's not all. He has some people help him out, but lock alike. That's the word for it. We just coined it. And by we, I mean I. We need to print shirts and everything. I mean, I, I don't know. Red <laughs> Raven might have a few things to say about that, but. <laughs> um, what was the question? I guess I think about, you know, when someone goes to design a board game, they are focused on one very specific aspect. They may have ideas about other things, but like you, if you are intending to go into the project doing everything, like I, I got to imagine that it's a it's a different headspace. You're thinking about the labor involved of coming up with the illustrations, the graphic design. I got to imagine you shot the Kickstarter video. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. you have so much more that you personally are going to be involved in and responsible for the end product of when you're ramping up for a Kickstarter, like you're doing right now, what are the unique considerations that you have? Like, what are the things that people wouldn't even be aware of that you have to undertake in preparation that other game designers and publishers might not have to? I mean, I think part part of it is that like at every in every role I'm in, whatever part of the process I'm in, whatever role that I'm doing, I am thinking at the same time about all the other all the other hats are also on my head. And so like I'm also considering when I come up with a game idea to begin with and I note it down in my notes app as like, oh, this could be an interesting theme or this could be an interesting idea for a game. Like I'm already thinking all the way to the end of like what like just my mind is already my publisher's mind is already going okay what does the packaging look like what is the audience for it like where would the where would i how would i market this to people like what sort of gamer would be interested in it, it like just involuntarily because I, so i'm kind of trying to see and in this way i think being a filmmaker sort of uniquely prepared me for this because as a director, when you're on set and you're doing, and you're like behind the camera and you're giving an actor notes or you're telling the cinematographer like how, what the next shot should look like or anything, you're you're thinking of that particular moment and every other moment in the film at mm. the same time. Because 
it all needs to work together. It needs to, this moment that you're shooting, this shot, the scene that you're shooting right now needs to work with the scene that just came before it and with the scene that's about to come after it. And those scenes need to work with the scenes before and after them and with the whole picture as a, as a whole. And so I think that, that mindset for me is very natural when it comes to a game. I'm, I'm like, you see the whole thing. It reminds me of, um, there's a Kurt Vonnegut book where the aliens don't see time like we do in a linear fashion. They see it all at the same time. And so they see people as these worms where it's like you see the baby going all the way to the adult and all the way to the old man. And you see that all of those stages at all at one point. And this is kind of what it reminds me of. Like I see a game in all of its stages of development all at once. You're bringing of. Vonnegut into this house. You, you're, you're, <laughs> you're getting to the heady sci-fi here, man, Malachi, yeah, straight, man after my own heart. I do want to mention though, that um, for this particular project, it, it would be, I would, I would be remiss if I didn't, give credit where credit is due, that I, I actually brought on a developer for the role camera expansion. So this is one case where I'm not doing it 100% myself. Um, and part of that was with role camera, I did do it 100% myself and, and I learned some lessons <laughs> about that, that, um, that, you know, I can't, I can, I, 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 obviously, I obviously can do all the parts myself, but I don't have to subject myself to doing 100% of it myself. So I, um, when it came to the expansion, because I've got another project in the pipeline that I wanted to be focusing my design on, I, I kind of designed the basics of it. And then I, I hired a very talented uh, uh, developer called um, named John Velgus, who has been working with me the last couple of months. And just it's just so great to have someone else to kind of bounce those ideas around. Because one of the consequences of the lock-alike life is uh, is it can be quite lonely. Um, and this was something I actually missed from filmmaking is such a like collaborative, it's just by its nature, it is a very collaborative experience. And um, when you're doing it all solo, it can be uh, it can be a little isolating. And so, yeah, so it's just credit where credit is due. John Velgas is doing the development for the for the expansion. And that was came from just learning that uh, doing it all yourself is taxing. It's exhausting. Uh, it's really, it takes a lot. It's, I mean, doing it all, all is a lot of work. I can imagine. Yeah. And so I just, I felt like I need, I need, I want on future projects to like, to be smarter about outsourcing um, and still obviously take all the credit. Obviously. <laughs> I mean, and you get to be a prima donna about everything when someone else yes. is working on it. Exactly. I need to have John on the podcast to have the actual scoop on the behind yeah, the scenes. Yeah, you're not going to get any real talk from me. No, this, is, this is my marketing <laughs> hat. <laughs> so what was the original impetus behind you doing all of the stuff yourself? Like, do you think that that was born more out of necessity? Do you think that it was part of the creative challenge? Do you think that there was a degree of ego involved? Like, I, I know that as a creative individual, I've done music my entire life. I've done um, the Cardboard Herald. You know, I've done writing. I, I tend to be the type of person who tries to do everything myself. And usually it's to a degree of success, you know, but also sometimes I think, man, I played that guitar part pretty well. Someone else probably could have played it better, but I have total control if I'm the person who's actually laying down each individual track. Yeah, I mean, that was part of it was control. I mean, one of the downsides to working with um, other people is that there's suddenly one step removed from your brain that sure. just sometimes your brain just knows what it wants and it doesn't mean that your hands can necessarily do that but you don't have to talk to your hands and explain <laughs> to them what you need to do you know you just need to keep trying maybe you don't and, uh, <laughs> why um 
but when it comes to like working with other people, you know, and this is just, this is again, going back to filmmaking, it's sort of the nature of, of directing that all that, all directing really is at the end of the day is explaining to people what it is exactly that you want in words that they can understand and then actually go away and do meaningful work with. Um, and so that was part of it for roll cameras. I wanted the control. And part of it was because it kind of occurred to me that uh, I could do all that. I had the skills and background just from just kind of randomly from different parts of my life coming together. And I thought like, huh, actually, hang on, I can kind of do all of this. Um, game design itself is a part that I was the one part where I felt like because illustration came from, I was doing this webcomic for many years and I've been just drawing as kind of a hobby for a long time. Um, like publishing and customer relations and uh, that part of it came also kind of through Itchy Feet the Comic because I had been doing some like self-publishing and audience building through that. Um, the kind of uh, business aspect of it and also um, marketing came from the job I had at the time, which was working at a film school where I was heavily involved in sort of the business end as well and in um also, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, and so it wasn't too far from my mind, like a lot of these ideas. And I had good people I could rely on, my parents, if I needed some advice. <laughs> um, and so game design itself was the one, like for like tabletop game design and development was the one part where I had to kind of learn a lot. But I also feel like that, like the, uh, the, my interest has always been in, in my creative pursuits have been in um, creating experiences for people, like creating a beginning to end experience that pulls people through and has some kind of end point, a beginning, middle and end. So that like for movies, that was a big part of it for me was um, leading people through this sort of narrative experience. And even when I was teaching, I, I approached education and, and, and class like lesson design, but also course design because I was a course leader and working with a team of tutors and building this course like as an experience, I was thinking about it like as, okay, people walk in the door and they are, we are giving them that experience. They are going through roles. They are taking on these things. They are kind of playing these parts and they're expecting a certain end result. And so I had that kind of mindset anyway, and I just needed to kind of learn the language of game design and the, and the, you know, the vernacular and the particularities of mechanics and so on to actually, and testing and playtesting is a big part too. When you're studying film in order to be a director, you know, you look at certain filmmakers, certain films, you know, like a, to pull just a random one, I watched Rashomon the other day. So, you know, you look at Kurosawa movies and you're like, okay, you know, how is he handling everything here? When you were preparing to be a board game designer, not just a board game enjoyer, not just a player, not just a hobbyist, but you wanted to design board games, were there specific board games or designers that you looked at for inspiration? Yeah, I I mean, I knew pretty early on that a roll camera was going to be like a dice worker placement. Um, I didn't know what those words, I mean, what the word <laughs> dice meant, but I didn't know what worker placement was necessarily, even though at the time I had like Viticulture was already a favorite game of mine. Um and so basically what I did is I just went on BGG and like scoured the lists for dice worker placement games, you know, and I, I ended up playing uh, Castles of Burgundy and Alien Frontiers and, you know, I would look for them on Tabletop Simulator or there's a there's a board game shop here in Berlin which will rent you games for like three bucks a day. So it was like sweet. I would just come nice. back with a stack of games and my wife would 
uh, be subjected to learning all of these rules. <laughs> That's the board game reviewer life too, is the yeah. wife being subjected <laughs> to all the new games. Yeah. And I, and that was, that was kind of the research process. It was like, what am I trying to accomplish? Who else has done something in this area that I can learn from? And, uh, I, I tried to, here's where I think the like education of film, or at least the way that I approached it, uh, my own education, uh, and also as I was teaching others, differs from how I've been approaching like board game design and mm -hmm. my own self-education board game design. And that is that I think in education there is a there is a sense that like that you have to watch the classics. You have to watch Rashomon. You have to watch Citizen Kane mm -hmm. in order to understand. You know, before you even pick up a camera, and um, and you need to appreciate those things because you need to appreciate what they did and you need to study what they did and like you need to study the, the theory of it and like kind of where their technique came from and all of this stuff before you set something up because you don't know the like the the shoulders that you're standing on and i and i understand that point of view from an appreciative standpoint from a certainly from like a critical standpoint um and sort of from an art theory standpoint but what i've found through teaching is that i think that can get in people's way i think that you know what what you really need much more than uh to, to like understand theory or what the what the great directors were is like have something you want to say and have a story you want to tell and then if you're having trouble telling that story um then look to other people who have told similar stories or who have told stories that you resonate with and try and learn what they did at that point which is after you've already tried it got it and got i think it. So for like for board games, so I've seen this in students where people, well, they will get caught up so much in like the technique and in the in the theory that they will lose sight completely of like what they have to say from inside them, which at the end of the day is all that matters. Like whether they can reproduce technique or not, nobody cares. What they care about is like, do you have something to say? And so for me, for when I went into board games, like I was very determined not to make this mistake. And so I have, I do play the classics because I want to see them and I want to enjoy them, but I, I don't. I'm trying to, like, I haven't opened a board game mechanics textbook, even though they do exist. As right. I'm sure there's lots of great ones. Um, and I and I have tried to avoid as much as I can, uh, actually, theory. And maybe this is a terrible way of going about this. But <laughs> but but this is what I'm trying anyway. It's like my new approach is like, I will, if I'm, if I'm cracking my head against the mechanic that I just can't, like, there's a problem in the game I just can't solve. Who else has done something in this area? Play that game, see how they've figured it out. Um, so, like, kind of reactive education i think is maybe a good uh that's that's been my approach anyway um, and i hope it works well i mean it's certainly successful so far and i imagine that the the kickstarter campaign for the expansion is going to be but one thing that i i find super intriguing is anytime that someone takes a, a area of expertise and then translates that into board games because there's uh dozens of games if not hundreds of games that are about movies or making movies or the appreciation of movies that kind of stuff but i imagine that most of them are coming from the layman perspective you know people like me yeah. who are like oh i just want to watch rashomon or citizen kane or the avengers you know i just want yeah. movies i i don't intend to make movies i don't know how movies are actually made i just like movies and then i might make a board game based off of that what did you want to say about the filmmaking industry through the creation of this board game with you being a subject matter expert, you know, someone who actually knew how these things were being made. That's a great question. I, I, I was, 
I remember I was listening to a, a different podcast. Um, no offense. I'm shutting this off right now. <laughs> <laughs> and they had mentioned, they were talking about board games and they were talking about themes. And it occurred to me that like, oh man, like actually making a film is very similar to a board game in that there is, you're, you're working like a co-op board game. Like you're, you're working in a team. Mm-hmm. Like you're trying to achieve a specific goal. You're under constraints of resources, time, uh, energy, um, you know, lots of physical constraints and resources you uh are like moving physical pieces around like a a a space that is limited and defined um and everyone has like a role that has different abilities sort of and like special kind of and i just thought like like how has nobody thought of this before surely they have already like it's obvious and there are a lot of like movie trivia games there are and there are a handful of uh, even by very you know well-known designers of like like movie studio film production games and all of them take the same perspective which is that everybody's competing you're all like either heads of studios or like producers in a studio and you're trying to like combine actors and uh and like spend budget and so on and so it's sort of like the euro game sort of top-down bird's eye view version of, of filmmaking which doesn't interest me in the slightest like for me <laughs> the for me that what's interesting about it is the actual like you're on set you are setting up the camera to shoot a specific scene and that had never been captured that I was able to find anyway um, on in, in board games, at least not the way I, I wanted it to be. Um, so yeah, it just came from um, in terms of what I wanted to say. Well, I just, I just felt like this is already a board game. Like for me, it was like already, it was perfect material um, thematically speaking for a, uh, for a board game. And I just wanted to put people in the mindset of like, I, so there's a great, like one, one of the, most stressful days I was ever on set was that we were out in the middle of the desert. We were shooting the scene. It was, and it was like supposed to be a hot desert. It was supposed to be set in Mexico. We were shooting in Southern California and it was raining (laughs) and it never rains in the desert. I mean, it was the Sonora, it was supposed to be the Sonora desert. It was, so it was like, it was cloudy. It was rain. There was like snow on the mountains behind, behind us. And the, and the, 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 grip truck was stuck in a we ended up we didn't realize we were shooting a dry riverbed which sounds like solid but it's absolutely not it is like it's quicksand basically and so this big semi truck essentially got like, was like sinking and all the all the crew was out there with shovels like digging it out the actor you know wasn't showing up people were like getting food poisoning and i just <laughs> i i was so happy and it wasn't because of those things but i just remember thinking like if i'm gonna be at the center of a hurricane like this is where i would want it to be like it's just so we're making a movie people like how great is this i just i've never lost that sort of childlike glee for like like like, all these things are going wrong yeah but we're making a movie and that was kind of what i wanted to to convey this feeling of like chaos but it's great it's fun they're all challenges to overcome yeah they're challenges and and the stakes are low enough in filmmaking because you're not you know curing cancer so at the end of the day like if, you know, everything goes wrong and the grip truck sinks and, you know, you, you lose all your money, you know, there are worse ways <laughs> to lose your money than in the pursuit of, like, a great film. Do you think Werner Herzog thinks differently about the stakes that are involved in his films? He's like, this has got to be, the next one is the one that's going to change the world. Yeah, uh, that's true. Werner Herzog is operating on another dimension, though. He's, uh... <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> uh, is there an unsung hero of the filmmaking world that you wanted to capture in the board game? You know, like something that you wanted to represent that you felt like 
the layman out there doesn't know how important this role is to the the true process. You're like, there's got to be something to represent the gaffer. Well, not one particular role, but I did want to, I mean, part of the, this was partly by necessity because in a co-op game, you want everybody to feel like they're contributing equally, but all of the roles are kind of uh, more or less balanced to mm -hmm. each other. Like the direct being the director or producer is not the most powerful roles to have in the game. They have powerful abilities, but the other uh, roles also have abilities that are that are powerful. And I think part of that is that I wanted to it, it, part of what I don't know if it was intentional actually, but part of what I've seen come out of it when people play it is an appreciation for like this, uh, especially from people who work in the industry, because of course the of course the gaffer believes they're the most important person on the set. Of course they do, because they are from their perspective. And that's right. true of everybody. And I think in a good team, that is the case where everybody is sort of self-interested in creating their best work. And if you're, as long as you're all like aiming towards the same goal, um, then that can be accomplished. And I think that was what I tried. I didn't want the director to have like a particularly, you know, I didn't want it like to be so asymmetrical that, you know, that, it, that people's, the layman's, stereotype of the director as this sort of demigod uh, auteur, <laughs> uh, of the, you know, w would be justified because I don't think it is. I think, um, I think a, a director relies on everybody as much as they rely on the director. Theme in games, like theme is such an important thing. And clearly the, the theme is where this started, or at least, you know, based off of what I'm hearing, you, yeah. you wanted to represent this and you came up with mechanisms in order to reflect that theme. How important is, is theme to the overall experience for you? And like, what sort of compromises are you willing to make in order to make a better game? Like, where is... Where can you sacrifice theme in order yeah, to... Where, where can you allow abstractions or things that may be counter to the theme in order to be like, well, I can't make this work holistically within, you know, the, the theme environment that I'm playing in, but yeah. damn it, this is necessary in order to make this a more balanced game or a more fun game or a more fair game. You know, like everyone draws the line differently and there are a lot of games out there that maybe get a little bit hanky in service of the theme and they can be incredibly popular. I mean, yeah. I'm wearing a shirt for Oath right now and Oath kind of relies on the buy-in of everyone at the table that, that they are going to be in some degree in service of the theme. It's a great mechanical yeah. game, but the the mechanics are kind of reliant on that that shared buy-in of everyone at the table otherwise it can kind of fall apart dramatically yeah yeah i've had that for oath i've had that for certainly both both directions for me where i, I thought i didn't like the game until i played it with the right group that we, we you know we kind of went in going okay we're just going to lean into this we're going to like do what oath is wanting us to do and then we had a great time so like mm -hmm. no surprise um definitely i think you know Theme is such a funny word because we use it in, in board games in a completely different way than it's used in like lit literature or um, in film, certainly. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like we, and I think I've been thinking about this and I think where it comes from is like an amusement park ride mm -hmm. has a theme. Like, sure. you know, is like spaceship themed in the sense that there's a spaceship painted on the car you're riding in. Mm -hmm. Like that's, oh, this is the, this is the theme. As in like, like it's almost, you know, they're talking about it in terms of like, what is the, what is the paint they plastered on it? Um, and 
for board games, what we're really talking about is setting, I think, especially when talking about thematic games. I think if you're talking about an abstract game, then yeah, theme in the terms of the amusement park sense, I think it, sure, like, yeah, you're pasting it on because it doesn't really matter and it's like gone the moment you get into the mechanics of it, like you forget about the theme. Um, it's just sort of there to, to make the box look nice. Um, I think when you get to the games that are quote unquote thematic, which again is a weird word that I think is unique to this particular field, um, you're talking about Im immersion into uh, like the experience of it. And I think that comes from, I mean, because a game is always, no matter what you do, a game is gonna be abstracted at some level. And so it's just a matter of choosing like which parts of that experience are, are okay to abstract and which parts are really necessary that you do not abstract. And for me, I think what I've learned from Roll Camera is that the parts that are okay to abstract are the parts that as long as the decision space that you're in, that the players are in, re uh, reflects the decision space of the theme, that the that the theme's premise is sort of promising you're going to be in, mm. then you're fine. Then you can abstract as much as you want, as long as the decision more or less uh, fits it. So for, as an example, like one point of abstraction in, in roll camera is that you, so you start your turn, you roll these crew dice, and each die has a different face that represents a different member of the crew. And then you see what you got, and then you use those to place on worker placement spots or on set in an arrangement uh, as dictated by the storyboard cards, which tell you what you what how the crew needs to be arranged in order for you to shoot the scenes. And obviously, when you're on set, you don't randomly draw from a bag of crew people who show up. You, you're very specific about who shows up on set. You plan this out in advance. Uh, you know, so it's not it's not random who just ends up showing up unless the production is really falling apart. Um, but the decision of like, how are we going to best allocate the people that we have to the various like challenges that have come up and, this, and to the scenes that we need to shoot today um, and the various problems that have come, you know, you might need to send, especially on like a rinky dink independent duct tape together film production, which is kind of what roll camera is going for. You might need to send the makeup artist uh, to go run, like stop the grip truck from going the wrong direction. Uh, and then you have to you know, shoot the scene with the actor with no makeup. So maybe you do it with them facing the other way. Like these are the kinds of problems you're always like uh, having to face in film, uh, like again, in like smaller indie film productions, especially. Um, so lost my train of thought. Uh, the... It's fine as long as you, but so the, like the decision space of like, how are we going to allocate the crew matters much more than like the reality of whether or not your crew arrives randomly. Um, and so I think a lot of games, um, the, I think Oath is a great example of this, where like the, the uh, decisions makes you feel like you are kind of going through history and making the kind of decisions that an empire makes, not just one person, but like that, that many people in a sort of, in a, in a, in an empire have to kind of go through over the course of many years of decades even i mean in order to sort of achieve their goals sure um because the decisions of like do i play this card here or do i keep it in hand or, or advisors or not like that mirrors more like how do i allocate these uh, these resources i have available to me whereas if it was just like a card that you put down that said invade it just wouldn't feel like that decision or that action reflects the reality of the theme. And I think that's where, I was thinking about this, I think Root, uh, I know you're a fan of Root, and, yeah. and I am too, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's like my in my top five games. 
Um, and Root is a, is a great example, too. It's kind of funny because there's, in some ways, it's like one of the most thematic games in the sense that I'm talking about sure. that I've ever played. So like the Otters as a faction, I think, like, I, I, it's my mind is blown sometimes when I think about the design of, of, the, of the Otters because it's so, <laughs> I think a lesser design of the Otters, I think would have had them, okay, they're the merchant faction. Let's just have, they have a special deck of cards that's like swap cards with another player or like earn some money or like, you know, you just play these cards and they're like events and it's like, oh, the theme is that you're merchants. But what it does instead is it goes, okay, you gain points by earning dividends. You earn dividends by having funds. The funds you have, you put by selling services. Here is where you sell the prices for your services. Yeah, control the economy. Yeah, what it's, actually, what it's great is that those that rule set forces you to go, I've got some nice cards here. Who wants my cards? I got great prices. Like right, right. It like puts you in that position, it forces you to do that, which I just think is great. Um, and I think it's a great example of, um, of like thematic, uh, mechanics. Whereas there are other factions in Root, like the Vagabond, where it's like beat a bear, turn over a token, and play this card. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, obviously every game can't have every theme perfectly, but it's. I think that's a good example of like where even in like one game you have to sacrifice sometimes part of the theme to kind of get the the like asymmetry across in that case. Um, but I think what it comes down to is decision space. Does do the players feel like they're making decisions? as promised by the premise of the game that you've put in front of them. And if it doesn't, if they don't, then it's like, ah, oh, the theme's pasted on because I never really felt like I was doing the thing. Um, and if it, and if it's not, if, if even if it's abstracted, but the decision space is there, then people go, oh, this is super thematic. I feel just like a filmmaker. One thing that I find really fascinating is that in the original roll camera Kickstarter video, you just straight up said, this isn't going to be in retail. I'm not going to put this in retail. I, I am just doing this so that way it can get made, I can cover those costs, and I'm going to send it out to you. That mm. is so contrary to the intent and hopes and scope that uh, most people go into Kickstarter projects as creators uh, have. You know, they want it to be the thing that's going to be an evergreen title sold in perpetuity. Like, why do you have this different approach? Honestly, because I can't handle the stress of like inventory <laughs> <laughs> of like having, and I know that that's not what every publisher does. They make deals with distributors and they are the ones right. that hold the industry and so on. But to me, the great appeal of Kickstarter and the Kickstarter crowdfunding model, which um, I have looked at, you know, publishers like Red Raven Games and Whirly Gig Games and, um, and you know, several others that kind of follow this. Uh, so I'm not trying to blaze any trails. I'm just following some well-trodden uh, paths is um, the appeal is that I don't have, that I can, you know, from a business point of view, deliver what was paid, that I get the money first and then I print the amount that, was ordered and then that's done. And if people want more, we like do another run. And I don't have to like have a warehouse somewhere that I'm paying to fill full of stock that I then have to, um, uh, you know, worry about whether or not it has to be on sale or whether about we have to move it and all this stuff. And I know that I'm leaving money on the table. And but I just feel like again, as a speaking as a lock-alike, <laughs> there are only so many places that my um, we're making it happen. Right, right. <laughs> there are right. only so many. There are only so many places that my attention can go. And I would rather it not be on to, like the churn of like shipments and manufacturing and, and all of this. Like I would rather it be in a cycle that kind of where I can, like a film production, maybe this is just like where my head is, but like where it has a beginning, middle and end. 
you have a, a sort of you 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 follow this cycle, this process that that like has these steps, and then you stop it, and then you start a new cycle, and not this like constant like classic retail or distribution model where it's just this ongoing like never ending stream. And I just for me, I don't want to have to deal with those problems. I would rather deal with being a boutique creator that can produce what people want at a specific point and um, and then kind of be done with it. Um, that to me is cleaner. Maybe I'm making some assumptions here, but uh, it could be that a big part of the difference is that there's a lot of people who have day jobs that aren't creative endeavors and then they want to get into board games because it's a way of expressing themselves creatively and then that could hopefully become the foundation of something that could be their day job you know that's the dream that they're working towards whereas you you already have this creative job the you know you have a profession you have a career you're a subject matter expert and you can be involved in the the film industry uh you can teach you can be immersed in this creative work anyway and the board games are just a a, a different aspect of creative output and you know you can just make it and you can be done with it you don't need it to take off you don't need it to become an empire well uh i hope that's not true because i uh this has been my first week full-time doing this oh, okay well there you go <laughs> I actually quit my my previous jobs not because I wanted to necessarily but because there was so much I had to do in this in like the in with roll camera with the expansion with like my comics uh, work that I did not expect and I just thought okay it needs my time and, and after roll camera I thought okay I, I can do this like this seems like something that can sustainably be done so uh, yeah I think the other thing that I think is different with when you're doing it all most of it yourself is um, that makes the one-off project cycle more sustainable uh financially speaking than uh for some other publishers is that i'm not paying an, i'm not paying an illustrator i'm not paying the designer i'm not paying um a marketing team i'm i'm doing that work and yes that's more work for me but i also don't have to pay those people and i, I can pay myself that way and so for me i see that as a sustainable way of doing it the direct consumer model and i mean anyway you know talk to anybody in publishing and like the the margins that you make on distributed and retail games after they've gone through two three sometimes more middlemen is not great and no, it's no. better when you're able to just sell directly to people you don't make ha have as many people and so like sure the numbers might not be there but i in my from the standpoint i have that that makes up for it in just the um in, in, the, in the larger margins that you have and so that's the route i'm trying to approach and you know Again, maybe that is also a huge mistake, crawling <laughs> back to my day job. But um, I don't know. We'll see. So this is a bit of a two-parter. Thinking specifically about the expansion here, B-movie yeah. as a term, as an endeavor, you know, like the, the roll camera is so appreciative uh, and, you know, like it's humorous, but it's also appreciative and loving towards the film industry that you grew up in you know you participated in these are reflections of people that you've worked with and you know projects that you've been involved in in the past yeah. and so my my two-parter question here is one when we talk about a b movie you know real schlocky movie a grindhouse movie you know whatever, whatever it is 
do the people involved in it know that they're making a B movie as they're doing it? And two, by using the term B movie, do you feel like you're you're in some way like reinforcing like a, a dismissal of the hard work and effort and energy that you know just normal people go through in order to create these projects? I mean, like. I'm certain that you know people who have been the the directors, the actors, the whatever on these crappy movies that everyone just like, you know, shuts down and talks about it's so bad it's good. But, you know, they're they're putting their time, energy and effort into trying to make something. I want to know your perspective on B-movie culture as a creative culture. Wow, you really put my put me in my place there, Jack. I am I am chastened. Um <laughs> uh, I no, I I totally yeah. They always say like there's there's nobody sets out to make a bad movie. That mm-hmm. like everybody wants to. Everyone's there because they're passionate and, and they love it. And I think that's true sometimes. I think some people know when they're making a bad movie, and I think some people are fine with it because it's their job. And but but not always. And I actually do think this is one place where the theme in Roll Camera uh, uh, departs a little bit from from the reality. There's a, so there's a quality track on the and the board, and you can you know you have to. You have to get it out of the middle zone of mediocrity. It can, you can either aim for like it being like at least not bad or better than that, or you can go the other direction and like on purpose make a really bad film that's going to be so bad it's great. But that's harder to do. Um, totally. And I again, I don't think anybody like in the middle of production goes, you know what, this isn't going very well. Let's just make this an absolute <laughs> crap film. Yeah. I I doubt it, unless maybe it, from a producer point of view. Um, but it's one place where it was, it's just really fun. It's really like, that's just a fun idea of like, you know what, let's turn this ship around. Uh, I think we can still pull a, like we can shoot the moon, so to speak. Um, but when you're on set, and this is something that is really funny when you're not the director, mm-hmm. when you're in almost any other position, um, every film set is exactly the same. Like it, not in the way that feels, but in the way that it, the actions that you take and sort of the the, road, the, the sort of routine of it. it so you, it's often really hard to tell when you're not the director and when you're not in one of the like really higher up positions, whether the film you're making is any good. And, and often as a director, even that's the case. Like, trust me, like sometimes you don't know. And sometimes, I mean, you have these crises of faith halfway through. You go like, this is garbage. We're making garbage. Like, <laughs> don't tell anyone, but this is terrible. And then you get in the editing room and like, oh, this is even worse than I thought. Like, this is awful. And then you start to cut it and it starts to come together with the music and sound. And you actually go like, actually, this is watchable. And at the end, you feel like, OK, this is pretty good. But um, but but on set, it's often really, really difficult to even know, um, especially if you're like the boom operator or you're the gaffer. Like, you know, the gaffer sets the lights where the cinematographer says the lights should go. And they help design the sort of what the look of the film is and um, kind of where the you know, where the design of the lighting is going to be. But rarely do they have that big picture. As I said, the kind of earlier, the director's like thinking of all stages all, all at once. And nobody else's job is really to do that. Um, except for maybe the, maybe the producer, if they're really creatively involved. Um, so yeah, so B movie, I think for me, it was more just a a name that conjured up genre. Like I wanted the B movie, the, the expansion is really about bringing in, the genres so you don't in in roll camera base game you the film you're shooting is sort of thematically agnostic it's not really about any specific like doesn't go in any specific direction um and so i wanted the b movie to be like okay we got zombies we've got dragons we've got uh you know torture chambers there's like um there's crime syndicates like we're 
so you're like putting in these kind of genre pieces in and and because it's like because real camera has this feeling of being a very taped together kind of rinky dink operation like the classic place to go then was was the, would be the b movie and there are lots of people who love making those films and there are lots of people who are doing it because it's just their damn job and they don't care <laughs> so i don't think i i hope i'm not doing anyone a disservice and i certainly don't mean to um uh, i don't want it to offend anybody um but uh i jeez i should hope not if 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 um, if roll camera offends, offends people, I think 2021 is, is going to be a tough year. Yeah. I, I, I don't uh, think that anyone's going to take too much offense to it. And I imagine that, you know, like, um, in retrospect and with enough distance from anything that someone can look back and be like, man, that was a real shit show of a movie that we put together mm -hmm. there. I still got paid. I did my job. I, you know, got the lights going, you know, like we did what we could within the budget that we had and everything. But, you know, like I, I, I think that there's a way of um, being affectionately humorous towards that. So I don't think anyone's going to take offense. Well, case in point, like actually there are times when it's a shit show and it turns out incredible. So like a uh, bit of industry inside knowledge here oh we got the inside scoop yeah i have a friend who talked to somebody who worked on the first season of westworld and they said that the whole time during that production everybody from the directors the producers were like this is the worst thing <laughs> we've ever made it was an absolute it shit show was the word for it because they said it was it was a disaster it was an absolute catastrophe catastrophe from beginning to end nobody thought they were coming out with anything well anything good and then it came out and was like one of the finest pieces of television in the last 20 years and th this is part of the reason i think why this, the seasons that followed it didn't weren't able to meet up to it because i think it was an accident <laughs> it was like <laughs> it was an accidental piece of genius um so yeah sometimes sometimes you think it's going to be terrible and look and it ends up being fine it ends up being a cinematic masterpiece and you didn't even know i want to wrap this uh up with going back to the the development the design you brought on a, a developer and you mentioned that that um you know gave you a bit of a reprieve it gave a different perspective it made it a more collaborative process let's be appreciative to the developer here like you know why is it a better yeah. product now because you had someone else coming in it's just a fresh set of eyes i mean one of the things with uh um with doing it all yourself is you're, you're there every step of the way with the project all the time. It's, it's like occupying your brain, like mm -hmm. majority of this real estate in your mind for such a long time. And so when I was done with real camera, I knew I wanted to make the expansion because I had the kind of design ideas and I knew where I wanted it to go. I knew where it could be expanded properly, where I think fans of it would really enjoy the extra, the like additional content and not just in a like extra cash grab way, but in a, like an integrated way. But I just, I just couldn't bring myself to play more role camera. I just couldn't. I was like, I, it's been, it's been two years. I've been playing role camera every day of my life, and uh, and I just needed someone else. I needed, the, I needed my brain to go on a different project, uh, a different thing I've been developing, and I and I wanted to bring someone else in who could see it fresh, and that's exactly what John Velgas has done, and he. Um, he just, he really understood immediately like what made roll camera tick, what worked, what didn't, what he could improve on and how, and it just, it's been amazing. So I think not having that perspective, uh, would mean that I would have, there, there are things you can't, so again, I can't I always bring this back to filmmaking, but like when you're a director, sometimes the best thing to do when you're done shooting is hand the footage off to the editor who hopefully wasn't on set and just, and just let them go for a week or two with the footage 
and see where they go with it. Because often you being too involved in it can you can you can lose sight. You can get blinders and you can get tunnel vision. You can lose sight of what what like a bit more of an objective view on it. And I think this is what my this is how I felt handing it off to to John Velgus was just I need I need someone else to take this and take it in a direction that's that they you know that they can trust is going to be is going to do well. And if I had kept it on, it would have it would have tunnel visioned in a way that I think probably would have exacerbated the weaknesses and rather than the strengths. Well, this has been super exciting to have you on Malachi. Uh, for everyone that's watching this or listening to this, I'll have links to all the things that you can find about the upcoming expansion and the two games already released. And the B-movie expansion is going to be hitting Kickstarter on October 5th. So thanks for coming on to the show, Malachi. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Jack. Thank you.